Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Um, with that, I want to just begin uh, and ask, have you ever come across strange instructions? Like, you know, you read something and you're like, wonder why that's there. Have you ever come across strange instructions? Let me show you a couple pictures of some strange instructions. Can you read this one? Life instructions. Lawyer up, delete Facebook, hit the gym, made with 100% unicorn feathers. You seen that? How about the next one? Sidestep, make nachos. Optional but recommended. This one is uh, cold wash only, don't tumble dry, don't iron print, don't slap pandas. Or how about this one? These t-shirts were tested on animals. They didn't fit. <laughs> Have you ever come across strange instructions? You know, I used to fly for the airlines. For those of you who don't know that I did that for eight years. Uh, and about every week there would be a memo that would come out about something you should start doing, something you should stop doing, something you should never do, or something you should always do. Uh, and the thing that always happened uh, every time one of those memos came out is I always wondered what the story was behind the memo. One of the memos that came out one time was, don't leave without the beverage carts. I don't know how that works. I don't know how beverage carts end up off the airplane, especially on the airplanes that we flew. It seems odd to me that they would. But uh, every, it was like once or twice a week there was a memo. And I, I think uh, I always wondered if, you know, if you could get your name like attached to the memo. Like, could, could I get my name attached to some strange set of instructions? Today's scripture that we're looking at, Peter gives some strange instructions, and I wonder what you do when you come across strange things in scripture. Like, I wonder how you process when you come across things in the Bible that you're like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not really sure what to do with this. We're going to look today at some things that Peter says that seem very odd. We began this series in 1 Peter at the beginning of the summer. We called it Strangers in a Foreign Land. And what we've uncovered so far, if you've been following along, and what we've uncovered is that Peter is writing this letter to Christians who have been sent to the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire. They've been exiled because of their faith, sent away because Christian faith was odd or strange. And so Peter writes to these guys and girls in order to try to encourage them. No doubt they're wondering, you know, is God mad at us? We just gave our lives to Jesus and now we're beginning to live in this Christian community and now we get sent away. Does that mean God is upset with us? Does that mean that we're no longer God's people? And Peter writes and he says, no, you are God's chosen people. You are a part of this covenant community. You are a special people because you have received the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so last week we looked at what Peter says is important about their sending away. That everything that Peter says about their sending away is that there's a purpose. And the purpose, as we looked at last week, I'll read it again. It's in uh, 1 Peter 2, 12. It says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter says, live such good lives that people, even though they make fun of you, would want to follow Jesus. That your lives ought to demonstrate something that makes people say, I want that. 
And I told you last week that for about the next two chapters, Peter goes on giving examples of how to live this out. So this is the main point for most of the letter. That, we, that the lives that you live in the midst of people who don't support your faith is actually intended to be evangelistic. It's supposed to help people find faith. And so what I, what I want to talk about today is, is that Peter says that the, in his examples is to live life completely surrendered to the king and his kingdom. That's the point today. And so I'm calling this message Living as God's Slave, and you'll see why here in just a minute. Would you pray with me, and then we're going to look at scripture together. So, Lord, I do just welcome you here. And, Lord, I, I just acknowledge that all of us come with a, a different uh, set of baggage today and a lot of things that are on our hearts and on our minds, and I ask, Lord, that you would clear those away, that we would be able to hear you clearly. Would you speak, Lord? Would you fill me with your spirit? And I pray, God, that you would speak your words from my mouth. God, would you put power in this message? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a little steamy, hey? My glasses are fogging up. I think you can buy glasses that don't do that, right? How many of you got, you got glasses that don't fog up? Right on. Um, everybody's like, I don't know. Why are you saying this? All right. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to pick it right up where we left off in verse 18. And here's what we read. Slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body and on the cross so that we might uh, die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see your purity, the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That's a whole lot of scripture. I think one of the things that I want to just say as I start is this message has been really hard to think through. 
as you read this passage, I found myself struggling to figure out what it has to do with us in 2023 in the United States. And maybe it's not really evident, but, you know, uh, the entirety of this letter is not written to people like us. In fact, most of the New Testament is not written to people like us. And when I say people like us, what I mean is people who have the freedom to follow Jesus without any persecution. Oh, yeah, maybe people would make fun of you for believing in God. But nobody stopped you on your way in here and said, where are you going? We need a full report. People like us, when I say that, what I mean is people who have the ability to appeal to government and make changes in government if we don't like what's going on. When I say people like us, I mean we're able to see things that are, that are amiss in the world around us. We're able to see that enslaving human beings is a bad thing and we can make changes in the way the government works. When I say people like us, what I mean is people who are able to say, I think white men and women and minorities should have the same rights. That's what I mean when I say people like us. And so the question that I've wrestled with all week long is that most of the New Testament, and certainly not this letter, was written to people like us. It's written to people who are more akin to the underground house church in China than they are the church in America. And that makes it hard to write a message that has anything to say to us. As I struggled through this, what I realized is that we really have to, if we want to understand this, we really have to get our head around what it's like to not have an advocate anywhere to not have a voice in the government, to have no say whatsoever. We have to get our heads around the fact that this is written to people who are going to be persecuted, stopped, treated poorly for faith in Jesus. And that's just not something most of us have ever experienced. And by God's grace, it's not something I hope that any of us will really ever experience. But if we actually want to understand what this letter is saying, we actually have to get our heads around that. You see, what you need to understand right from the outset is this is not Peter writing a once for all, this is how households should work. This is not, this is not a once for all, this is, you know, we should all have slaves, even though at one point in our nation's history, this passage would be used to say that Peter, Peter supported slavery. This is not a once for all saying this is the way a Christian marriage should work. You see, Peter's not writing to make a, a value statement or a value judgment on these institutions that existed in the Roman Empire. What he's saying is, you who have no power, you who are socially unempowered, this is how you should navigate this in light of the gospel. He's not making a statement about how marriage should function. He's saying, in this case, let me give you some tactical advice. And the tactical advice that he's offering is advice to avoid the, mo- the, or to avoid the most amount of scrutiny. He's offering counsel on how to avoid having the, the Roman Empire take a deeper look at who we are and potentially squash the spread of the gospel. I told you last week, Peter's primary concern all through his letter 
is the spread of the gospel. So Peter tells the Christians, live as much as possible in alignment with the structures that exist so as to not draw undue attention. And as far as you can, live in alignment with the structures that exist and where they contradict the kingdom and the gospel. Obviously, you have to take a stand. But live in alignment. Don't make waves. If you're a slave, obey your your master, even when they're not kind to you. That's a challenge, isn't it? Whenever I want to make a, a, write a message for 2023, we live in a different culture than that, don't we? Can you imagine if I just stood out on the street corner and I just started saying, this is what God says, slaves, submit to your masters. People would look at me like, are you crazy? I always knew Christianity was wacko. This guy proved it. Can you, who's thunder? Can you imagine, squirrel, I'm, I'm going to be one of those old guys that just cannot keep a, a line of thought. Uh, but can you imagine in our culture, think about our culture and the way things work. Do you know in our culture, if I say, if I stood up and I said, even to people in this room, I would imagine this will bristle some of you in this room, okay? So prepare yourselves. If I just stood up and I said, wives, submit to your husbands. Some of you are like, there should be a comma there, right? Right? If I said that outside of this room, people are like, see, that's why Christianity's wacko. We know that women have the same rights as men. We know that wives can submit to their husbands, but so can husbands submit to their wives. We know that. We live in this culture where we would never get a hearing if we stood up and we just read this and said, well, this is just what God says forever. And so it creates a challenge to preach a message from a tactical piece of advice in the first century to a people that don't live in that context. Do you understand that? Does that make sense to you? And so here's what I want to do. Is there anything of this passage in 2023 that is applicable to us? Is there anything from this passage of Scripture that we can take and that we can apply, that we can live into? And if I'm honest, all week long, I have read this passage. I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage, and I'm like, what would I do with this passage? Like, what would I even do with this? And that's been a struggle for me. But I think I've discovered something that I think God wants us to take seriously. I think there's two things that we can take from this passage. The first thing I want us to see is everything we do is a response to God. Always. Everything we do is a response to God. This works whether you're enslaved or free. This works whether you have all the cultural privilege and power or none of it. Everything we do as followers of Jesus is a response to God. Last week in in verse 16, we read this passage, and I'll, I'll just read it again. It says, live as free people. Jesus has made us free. Live live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. 
Live as God's slaves. See, Peter is saying that the freedom that you have in Christ is not a freedom to do whatever you want, to make your own way. It's a freedom to choose to be a slave to God. That's the freedom that Jesus has saved you for. It's a freedom to choose to be enslaved to God. And he says, live as God's slaves. What that means is that you don't get to choose. You see, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you're surrendering the option to make all of your own decisions. And it continues all the way through the passage that we have today. Look at verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Surrendered completely to God. Verse 19, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Everything we do is in response to the invitation of God. Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, this is Jesus. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. This is our example. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Everything is in response to God. God is the initiator. We are the responders. Or verse 4 and 5. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Everything is in response to God. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves Everything is response to God. Whether you're socially powerless or you have all the social power in the world, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be God's slave. That's what it means. It means I have surrendered all rights. I have surrendered everything. And now I am no longer in charge, but God is in charge. So for the Christians that Peter's writing to, it's a simple choice, right? Either God is the king, and he's in charge of everything, and he says how things go, and we owe all of our allegiance to God, or Caesar is the king, and he says how things go, and we owe all of our allegiance to Caesar. It's a simple choice whenever you're a socially powerless group of people. It's not easy to live in a place where you're persecuted, but it's simple because it makes the decision crystal clear, right? This is why, if you've ever thought and read through church history, the reason the church always gets stronger when it's persecuted is because it makes the choice crystal clear. It's either what you're being oppressed by or it's God. That's your choice. Here's the problem for us. We have lots of choices. You have lots of choices here. You can be completely surrendered to God and owe all allegiance and everything to God and he can say how your life goes. Or you can reject all allegiance to God and say that's nonsense and I'm going to make my own way. Or you can do anything in between. America is a land of possibility. And you can choose to be as surrendered to God as you want to be and if I were to say what one of our biggest dangers is, is that all of these options tend to water down our allegiance to Jesus. If I could give you a pastoral word about what I watch, as I look around the city, as I look around the country, the biggest concern is that we would make our own little way 
and call it Christian. That we wouldn't be forced, because we're not persecuted, we wouldn't be forced to choose. And in the end, we will have missed it altogether. We'll talk about this next week, but there's something about being persecuted and having to suffer for your faith that actually makes it real. But we live in a place where we're free to not suffer. We're free to choose ways that don't require suffering. What I see as a big danger is that we are people who can create our own kingdom and slap Jesus' name on the side and call it Christian. And it doesn't have to at all be surrendered to Jesus. It can look like whatever you want it to look like. Here's the problem. It doesn't matter if you call it Christian or not. It still oppresses people. It still abuses people. It still takes advantage of people. It still doesn't reflect the, the reality of the kingdom of God at all. There's this idea that I see floating around. People are like, well, if I were in charge as a Christian, I would do it right. Some of you look at me and you think the same thing. One person chuckled. Some of you look at me and you're like, well, if I was in charge, you see, I just know Jesus better than you do. And I would know how to run this thing better than you. We do that everywhere, don't we? If I were in charge, you know, yes, it's full of pagans, but that's the problem. If I were in charge of the media, I would do it right. If our group was in charge of the organization, because we're Christians, we would do it right. Right? Have you heard this before? If we can just ascend to the top of the mountains of all the major areas of influence in culture as Christians, and we can gain the positions of power, we will know and we will do it right. Have you heard this? Here's the problem. It's not biblically warranted at all. Actually, the biblical writers are very skeptical of power. And they're very concerned about human beings having power. Always. And I don't think you even have to look that far. Like, just look at recent church history. Right? Haven't we done so many things in the name of Jesus that we've, we discover are abusive to people? I feel like I'm watching more and more Hillsong documentaries, and it's kind of making me sick a little bit. In the name of Jesus, abusing people. And I, I mean, just quite honestly, as I've watched, I mean, I don't see any denomination that's free of that. Like, this is a great unveiling, I think. We're in a season where the church and everything that we've done is, is quite, you know, literally apocalyptic. It's being unveiled. The things that were hidden are being shown to be what they are. And it ain't pretty. And this is from people who said, well, if we Christians were in charge, we would fix it. If we had power, we would fix it. Have you seen this? You don't have to look very far. What we end up with is a mess. And I would say that the only biblical posture, regardless of whether you have social power or you don't, the only biblical posture is one of complete 
Submission as God's slave. It's the only way. It's the only way we can be entrusted with anything is that we're completely surrendered to God and that we trust him to actually be the one to build his kingdom. Our role is to just put our hand to whatever he asks of us. You know, one of the core values that we have in this church is we join what God is doing. The people who sit around our staff meeting table are sick of me asking that, but they can all recite it now. Because we want to be people who are submitted entirely to Jesus as king. That we're not making our own way. This is the thing I think that we can take from this. Everything we do is a response to the initiative of God. That we're completely open-handed with every desire that we have, every idea that we have. That God would give us the direction. You know, at the end of the services, we always open our hands, right? And some of you look at me weird, like, for a little while until you, like, get comfortable. And you're like, everybody's doing this. Okay, I guess, I'm, I guess y'all aren't going to do some weird thing to me. And the thing I say every week is that we want to be open-handed with everything we think we have. That God would put in our hands the things he wants us to have. And all this is, is it's a, it's a physical posture that says, Jesus, you're in charge. And I surrender everything to you. Whatever you want, that's what I want. We're just modeling that every week. If this is something that you struggle with, I want to offer you a practice today that you can apply in every space of your life. Everywhere you go, before you go there, you can open your hands and you can just pray this prayer. Lord, what are you inviting me into? Simple, right? You pull up to the grocery store. Before you get out of your car, you say, Lord, what are you inviting me into? You get up first thing in the morning. You're brushing your teeth. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Seriously, this will change the way you do life. If everywhere you go, you start with, Lord, what are you inviting me into? And I just take a posture that says I'm open-handed with every idea that I have. Lord, what are you inviting me into? It'll change the way you do life. It will actually make you the kind of person who lives as God's slave. The second thing I want us to take away from this passage is that like Peter, the spread of the gospel should be our highest priority. It should be our highest priority. This means that we should be people who are crystal clear on what the gospel message is in such a way that we can clearly communicate it to someone else. It makes sense, right? It seems like if we're people who have received the the message, we have received the gospel message, we should be able to communicate it. But I think it's hard for many of us. The reason Peter can instruct the Christians to navigate structures like slavery is because he's crystal clear on what the essence of the message is and what it's not. I think we have this thing. You guys, if you've been here any amount of time, you've heard me say this. We have these words that we just sort of use and we assume that we all mean the same thing, right? Gospel is one of those words. And what happens in church is we just lump a whole bunch of things in and then we just say a bunch of stuff. But the gospel is actually a thing. It actually is a thing. It's not everything you learned in Sunday school. It is a thing. 
And we should be clear about what the gospel is. The gospel is that you and I were created to live in a perfect relationship with God. But because we wanted our own way, we spiraled into brokenness and we resisted God. But God was not satisfied to let you or me be separated from him. And so he began a plan to rescue us from our brokenness. We were people who didn't want to be rescued. But we needed to be rescued. And so he came in the person of Jesus to begin God's rule and reign on this planet. And he lived the life we were supposed to live. And he demonstrated what it was like to live under the rule and reign of God. That healing happens and deliverance happens and freedom happens. And then he stood and died on our plate, in our place. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised to new life. And the invitation to you and to me is to be filled with the Spirit and empowered to live the life we were always meant to live. A life in surrender to God. You know, the longer I live and the longer I follow Jesus, what I have discovered is all of our lives were actually designed to function under the Lordship of God. Like, it, like hand in glove, it just fits. This is the gospel message. If you're someone who follows Jesus, you should be able to clearly articulate this for three reasons, at least three reasons. The first reason is, if you are someone who follows Jesus, this is the message that you're saved by. There is no other salvation. So it makes sense that you should know what the message is so you can know whether or not you've received it, right? If I tell you my wife called and she says she's going to be in at two, Unless you can articulate that my wife called and says she's going to be in it too, you have not received the message. Do you know that? That's reason number one, so that you can know whether or not you have received the message. Reason number two is if we actually want to make the spread of the gospel our highest priority, we probably should be able to articulate it in a way that would make sense to someone else. I mean, there's are small things, right? And the third reason is, if we're actually going to talk to people who are outside of, of our like, natural context, we probably should know what is the gospel and what isn't the gospel so that we can make it relevant to people in their culture without losing the message. Three reasons. I'll give you an, an invitation, another practice you can try. When you go home today, if you're a follower of Jesus... Take out a piece of paper and just try to write what the gospel is. Just try to write it. And I'll, I'll, I will help you. I would be glad to help you. I didn't ask Anthony to do this, but you can email me what you write, and I would love to help you. I was going to have Anthony put my email address up. I guess you all just have to guess. But this is critical. If we actually want to make any sense of what Peter is talking about, we need to do these two things. I want you to think about it. Like, if you are a follower of Jesus, could you clearly articulate this? Have you received the message, and is it making any difference in your life? And could you communicate it to someone else? Because these two things are critical to accomplishing the mission God has invited us into. Living a life that's in complete dependence and submission to God 
and making the gospel the highest priority. That's how we transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel is that we're people who show up to work. And when we show up to work, we showed up and we started like this, Lord, what are you inviting me into? And we have that coworker across the way who you can tell as you look, you're like, something's not right. And you sense the Lord saying, hey, go over there and just see how they're doing. And when you go over, you say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. No, I, I, I follow Jesus and I would love to pray for you. Well, yeah, my marriage is kind of falling apart. And it's an invitation for you to say, you know what? I've been in situations where my life was falling apart. I've been in situations of brokenness. And Jesus has rescued me. And it doesn't mean my life is perfect. But I'm on my way. That's how this works, friends. That we're people who begin by saying, Lord, what are you inviting me into? And then we respond. That's the message today. That's the message every day. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.